Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. As I look around and I know that the people here are looking for activities and ministries in the church, and I know that here in the building right now, Sunday school is getting ready to start. I know that we're getting ready downstairs for a voters meeting. I know that we're thinking about confirmation orientation, and all of those things are exciting. But what about you? Where are you plugged in to any of these things? Maybe you're in all of them, maybe in none of them. What should you be doing? What do you want to be doing? Well, these next four weeks, we're going to talk about some of these things. And one of the ways in which we become a mature Christian is to be engaged and involved. You know, one of the goals of being part of a church is that we would grow in numbers, and the numbers are here today. And that's wonderful, but that in and of itself, having more warm bodies here on a Sunday morning, that's not the end goal. It's not just about having more people around. No, we belong to this place so that we can do what Jesus commanded us to do. You remember Matthew chapter 28, what Jesus said? The very last thing he said to his disciples, including us, he said, go, therefore. He didn't say stop and wait and look and see. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even unto the very end of the age. Friends, if we've been in church at all, you know this is the Great Commission. This is the single thing that Jesus verbally told his church, that's you and I, to be doing. And friends, he doesn't hint about it. He doesn't write it in parable form. It's not laid out as one of the many things that you could be doing as a church. No, it's in black and white. Or if you've got a red letter Bible, it's in the red letters. Because Jesus wants us to be growing and to be reaching out to those who are not yet engaged, not yet a family, a part of the family of believers. Jesus' command is that we should grow. But yet if it's just about more bodies, if it's just about moving people from the unchurched bucket to the churched bucket, if you will, there's a whole lot easier ways to do this than building a big event on a weekend like this. There's got to be some easier ways. I'm going to go through five of these easier ways that we can do to get people into church. Number one has got to be offer free food, right? You offer free food and you can get about anyone to show up. And I wish Padre was here because I would give him a little grief. He has been telling me for 21 years, bullhead and sauerkraut, that's the way to bring people in. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking good food. The number four thing we could be doing to bring people in is to guilt trip them, right? Guess what happens if you don't come to church? Well, the devil gets you. And there is some truth to that. The number three thing we could be doing to get more people here, mass kidnapping. Yesterday was a prime example. As the five o'clock service was starting, there was a lot of activity over here in the park. And I said, how about we go and just grab up all those people and bring them in here? And the problem with that is we'd be doing this from prison next week and we wouldn't have another opportunity. The next thing we could do is we could change our service time and venue. Maybe during football season, you'll all want to join me at U.S. Bank Stadium about one o'clock in the afternoon and we can hold our worship service there. Yeah, I'm not sure that would go over real well 
but you will have to pay for your own ticket. I'm not buying everyone a ticket, that's for sure. And the final number one thing we can do is to do what advertisers have been doing for years and years. More nudity, right? We need more nudity in church. That'll bring people in. <laughs> no. <laughs> if it's our intent just to simply get more bodies in church, that's not following Jesus' commission. Because we all know that more needs to happen than to just bring people together. There has to be a connection made. God has to get into people's hearts and minds. You could use any one of these five methods up there to get record numbers in here on one weekend, but what are you gonna do the next weekend? You gotta have the spirit to be engaged in real, relevant, and positive ways in the lives of the folks who are here. Because without the spirit at work, you can put a bunch of resources and energies into promoting a weekend but folks wouldn't be here the following weekend if you couldn't sustain that and do something equally radical again. As great as that first weekend would be, how sad and depressing would the week after be when things kind of go back to ho-hum. You and I see this every spring, don't we? Everybody and their mother comes out to Easter Sunday service, and we love that and we celebrate that. And we do everything we can for people to have an uplifting time and give them a chance to have a real encounter with God. And as exciting as you can get on Easter Sunday, the truth is that normally the week after Easter is usually the most depressing for a pastor. Where did everybody go? We were packed last weekend. Was it something I said? And it may be, but I hope not. You see, the hard truth that we have to learn is that people are fickle, now more than ever before. Studies show, and we used to be able to say that someone would try something new, whether it be a new church or a new place to eat, they would probably give it two to three tries before they said, yeah, we're going to stick with this, or no, we're going to make a different decision. Today, my friends, we often get only one chance and sometimes just a handful of minutes to make that impression that'll keep people around. Technology can be wonderful and we're so glad we have this live streaming capability and we're so glad that you've joined us from wherever you're watching us from. But it can be real tempting, I'm, I think, sometimes, especially weekends Pastor Neil is preaching, to click off the sermon and click to something else. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Pastor Neil. Had to throw someone under the bus. <laughs> Another hard truth is even when it seems that the Spirit has captured a heart, how often do you see that eventually that passion just kind of goes away? How many people know someone who was once on fire, but then they fell away, and they are no longer on fire? Now, I don't want to see a show of hands for this next question. How many of you would say that's part of your own faith experience as well? that maybe your own faith isn't as strong as it once was. Maybe you're in the middle of a depressing time faith-wise. We're all aware that there are big fallaways from church, especially when people publicly proclaim and announce, maybe big celebrities say, well, I'm not doing that anymore. Make an intentional decision not to go to church anymore. But friends, when they come back, when the Spirit grabs a hold of them again and they return to church, Jesus isn't up there going, well, 
it's about time you came back, or saying, no, it's too late for you. Jesus doesn't do that. He's smiling. He's rejoicing. He's saying, welcome home. We always have that opportunity to return. So we have those big fallaways, but we also have those smaller, subtle fallaways too. People may not know it from looking at you, but maybe your faith isn't as strong as it once was. Maybe the passion that you once had, the fire that you once had, isn't quite there like it was. And pastors, we're not immune to this either. The only difference for us is that we've got to get it all worked out by the weekend. We've got to have that fire and passion and energy. Because we know as well as you know that spiritual growth and spiritual development often isn't step by step by step towards God. Sometimes it's a step towards God and maybe two steps back. Sometimes it's three steps forward and four steps back, whatever the case may be. If any of you are connecting with this, today and the next three weeks are for you. Whether you're new to this whole Jesus and church thing, or maybe this is your first time back in a long time, or even if your relationship with God isn't what it once was, you've come on the perfect week. Today and the next three weeks, we're talking about how you can grow in spiritual maturity. Number one, why is it important? Number two, how can I do it? And number three, what's in it for me, Pastor Dan? Because I know you're asking yourself questions. Am I spiritually mature? Am I moving forward spiritually or have I become a bit stagnant? Maybe I'm moving backwards. Maybe you've had feelings recently that God is somehow disappointed in you. Like sitting up there thinking, you did that again? I thought we were through with this. I thought we had taken care of those issues. But friends, we know against all human logic that our God is not like that at all. We have story after story in our Bible that says that God is not about throwing our failures in our face. He's also not about bribing or using a reward system or negative reinforcement to get us to do better. We know one thing about our God, and if we take one thing away, it's that God has unconditional love for each and every one of us. Whether you be here this morning, whether you be looking at a screen, whether you be out there not even thinking about church, God has unconditional love for everyone. And it's out of his unconditional love that he gave us rules, rules to interact with him and engage with one another. It's out of his unconditional love that he sent Jesus, his gospel message, into the world to fully proclaim that I have proclaimed that I am the one, that I have satisfied the law where you could not, that I have lived a perfect life where you could not. And he took all of that, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our resources that we couldn't come before him with to the cross and grave and died for us. And it's through both law and gospel that we come to him, that the Spirit leads us to him. And it can be so encouraging to know that we can read our Bible and we can see that real men and women in the Bible face the exact same things that we do. We're going to spend the remainder of our time today looking at a passage from Hebrews, and it looks like they were in really dire straits. It looked like the whole church was kind of fading away. 
We've got to know that God looks at us individually in the individual prayer time and devotion time that you have, but he also looks at us corporately as a congregation. The spiritual temperature of a church is important just as your own personal spiritual temperature is important. We as a church grow. We as individuals grow the church and we produce not by what we say, but by the things that we do and by the activities that we model, the things that we engage in inside and outside these walls. And why is that important? Why is that distinction so important to us? Because your individual personal spiritual maturity is bigger than just you. Why? Because it impacts everyone around you. Look at those folks sitting to your left or your right or behind you or in front of you. Your spiritual maturity impacts them, which impacts all of us. Let me ask you this question. If we as a church doubled and all the new people had the same passion for moving forward in spiritual maturity as we do, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? With that in mind, let's check out today's text. We're going to move to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 1. That's our text for this morning. The author of Hebrews writes, there is much more that we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you're spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. The author is saying here that you've had every opportunity, you've learned everything there is to learn, but you aren't doing anything about it. He continues, Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. You're like adults wanting to sit in a Sunday school, preschool classroom and just sit there with your coloring books and listening and taking it in, but not doing anything. And finally, he concludes... Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And finally, our punchline. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our own understanding. And you got to remember, the author is talking to Christians. They aren't people who have fallen away from Christ. They're just people who have given up on realizing they've got to move forward spiritually. Did you know that was possible? Did you know that you can actually be a Christian? You can be here every time we have a service. You can be engaged in every Bible study or Sunday school or confirmation class that we offer and still not move forward spiritually. Because friends, there is so much more to experience in our Christian life than just the head knowledge that Jesus died on the cross for me and I get to go to heaven one day. Let me be clear, that's all you need to do. That's all that's required of you is that faith that's growing inside of you that allows you to proclaim those words loud and strong. But there's so much more to the Christian life than just stopping with head knowledge. Because if you're not intentional in growing spiritually, you're much more likely to drift away from God. And then what might likely be the result is you fall away and have a big fall away. And then you end up not in heaven, but in that other place. Later on in life, 
after you fall away, you might have some questions. Well, how did I get here? How did I drift so far away from God? What's getting in the way of my spiritual growth? And the author of this passage in Hebrews gives some huge answers that I think are good for us personally as well as for our church. Again, going back to chapter 6, verse 1, there's a major roadblock that he highlights here. Let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead. Let us move on instead and become mature in our understanding. Don't get stuck going over the basics over and over. How many people here, and this is an interactive portion of the service, how many people here want to mature? want to grow. I should see a lot of hands rising up. You up there as well. We want to grow, whether it be spiritually, whether it be in our occupation, whether it be in our relationships, financially. We want to do all of those things. What parent, when you ask them the question, what do you want to have for your child? What parent doesn't say, well, I want them to grow and succeed. I want them to find fulfillment. I want them to have a life that has meaning. Friends, the great truth is that God wants for you what you want for yourselves and what you want for your kids. And what is that? More. You ask any parent what they want for their kids. I want them to have more. And hopefully, if it's a Christian family, the understanding is that more involves spiritual maturity. And we all want that end result. We want to be mature and continually be maturing. It's the getting there and sticking with it that's the problem, right? You want to have a deep faith? You want to live your life not stressed out and anxious all the time by small things? Now we want to be people that are kind and forgiving and secure in who we are as God's special son or daughter. We don't want to be devastated every time someone critiques us or pokes a hole at something that we said or did. We want to be full of joy. We want God at the end of our lives to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And here's the critical takeaway for today. The first thing that we need to know is that all the stuff that we want for ourselves and our families, God wants for us too. He wants us to have more. It's just learning how we need to lead our lives differently so that we can get more. I call this next part of my sermon, Stop Trying and Start Training, based on Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. It takes training. The mature, those on solid food, they've trained themselves. Yeah, they got a good start from God, but God didn't train them. Their parents didn't train them, their pastors or their small group leaders, but they themselves trained themselves. So we need to stop just trying. We need to stop saying we want to be mature Christians and mature in our faith. We want to stop trying and start training. I need to clarify something. Because some people will take what I just said and, oh, wait a minute, Pastor Dan, I thought God did everything. The action came from God. And that's true to a point. The faith that we have that Jesus died for us on the cross and we get to go to heaven one day, that is all totally God's work. We call that justification. And God does that alone. 
But the next part of our Christian life, sanctification is the word for this, is our response, what we do because of what God did first for us. And when it comes to growing spiritually, that is, we play a huge part of that. Now here's another point to grasp if we're interested in spiritual maturity. We have to realize there's an immense difference between training to do a thing and just wanting to or trying to do something. Someone once said, training is required for any significant challenge and change in your life. And while it might be difficult, in fact, it probably will be difficult, it should lead us to more, more ability, more faith, more discipline, whatever the case may be. I'll give you an example. I haven't weightlifted for a long time, but when I was younger, I did. And I may try to bench press 150 pounds, but I know that if I've only trained up to 120 pounds, there's little to no chance I'm going to lift 150. And if I do lift it, I'm going to be in severe pain afterwards. Trying to lift something you haven't trained for is not going to get it done. You have to train for it. Listen to what the Bible has to say about spiritual maturity and training. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And again, in his letter to Timothy chapter 4, he says to the young pastor, train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. He says something significant here. Spiritual training is for this life and it's for our heavenly life. It's interesting to understand it that way. We may have heard this term spiritual disciplines. That's what we like to call training methods used to grow our faith. And there's a whole lot of words that kind of mean the same thing. But we're going to work with spiritual disciplines. And they're valuable to us because they enable us to do what we want to be able to do, but with willpower alone, we just can't. We've got to train ourselves. I may have the will to bench 150, but without training, I'm not going to be able to do that. So we're going to talk over the next weeks about spiritual disciplines, such as prayer and reading in our, our Bible. Because as Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, when you do those things, the Holy Spirit can produce the, this kind of fruit in our lives. When we do those things like praying to God and hearing from him what he wants for our lives in the Bible. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They come out of those spiritual disciplines. I watched as much of the Summer Olympics as I could this summer. I enjoy watching the Olympics in general. And it's always interesting, the announcers talk about the athletes as being disciplined. They train their body, sure, but they also train mentally. They're rigorous in their sleep. They're rigorous in the things they eat and drink and their schedule that they're on. Everything that they do so that their body and mind can be focused and prepared, trained to react in the right way at the right time. And friends, in the same way, a spiritually disciplined person is someone who can do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, with the right spirit and attitude. And friends, how best to do that is to grab your Bible and to pray. 
Because the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to you. And prayer is the primary way that you speak back to God. God, am I getting it? Am I understanding? Am I hearing what I think I'm hearing from your Bible? And while the Bible and prayer are for everyone, there are so many other spiritual disciplines that you can follow and you may want to try out. Like I said, we're going to be talking about those in the coming weeks. God wants us to be growing in spiritual maturity in ways that are specific to us as a group, but specific to you personally, your gift mix, the things that God has gifted you with, your talents, skills, and abilities. Certain spiritual disciplines are going to be unique to you. But friends, as we wrap up this first week, I hope that you've heard some things that are engaging and want to invite you to come back and continue to learn more. Today we talked about stop trying and start training. Allow God to move us to a pursuit of him from something that we've got to do, like coming to church on Sunday morning and doing sermon notes and being here at a certain time in a certain way. Move us from thinking about those things that we have to do rather that we get to do. And friends, I look forward to the coming weeks and hopefully I'm going to learn maybe as much as you learn as well about spiritual discipline. I look forward to the rest of our time. Amen.